Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Shenanacast. This is episode eight, not seven, because last week I said six and it was actually seven. But this is episode eight of the Shenanacast. We know what we're doing. We are professionals. Um, and today we're we're going to be talking about old school Renaissance. But before we start, I just want to throw a quick thank you out to everybody that's supporting us on Patreon and uh, on the internet in general. Um, we have, we're currently at $85 a month on Patreon, thanks to our new, uh, Patreon supporter, Chris Comfort, so thank you very much to, to her, and, um, we are also, we are also all three sitting, well, two of us are sitting in, one of us is sitting on or around, uh, very comfy hoodies that were sent to us by Ruckdoc, another one of our, uh, folks that, that follows and supports us, so thank you to Ruckdoc as well. Uh, and today we are talking about old school renaissance. And so, and, and who's talking about the old school renaissance? We are talking, all three of us are Sh- Should we introduce ourselves, maybe? Oh yeah, we should do that, shouldn't we? Um, hello everybody, I'm your host, John, also known as Sinstaku, and with me are... I am William, also known as Shadow Chorus. I am Units, also known as the guy who sometimes keeps us on track. Ha-ha! <laughs> Rarely. Um, <laughs> okay, so yeah, what is old school renaissance? Old, old school renaissance also known as OSR, is the practice by which we bring back uh, old old things, old gaming systems, video the games, nostalgia. board games, things that you're nostalgic for, things that have been out of circulation or out of common play for a while, and make them new again. And either making them new by simply just reintroducing them, as, which is one, one tactic, uh, by making a new thing in sort of an homage to that old thing in style or in look or in appeal... Or by you know conti- con- you know sort of sort of retroact you know so going more for a retro style basically. doing a throwback yeah um, kind of like Pepsi does their throwback drink where it's it's the original formula that tastes like shit but anyways <laughs> sorry we're a, we're a Coke state so <laughs> um, I'm ambivalent on the matter yeah mm. anyways <clears throat> and so so that's pretty much what what oh sorry and it's seen a a, a pretty big resurgence as of recently. Um, the first encounter with OSR that I have was actually a f- about five years ago, I think, uh, when I first started noticing it, and then I, r- I really started looking into it myself m- more recently this 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 year with pen and paper OSR things like Sword and Wizardry and and things, and that's mostly because of other podcasts that I've listened to that have talked about it and sort of piqued my interest in it. Oh, what about the, w- 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 William? What was your first encounter with with sort of OSR as an idea? It's hard to say. <clears throat> Uh, it, it, like, I play so many games that I'm pretty certain that I just kind of stumbled across it at one point, because I, I, there, there, there was a point where I just kind of walked into a game and was like, wait a minute, I've played this game before. Yeah. This is just a game that I've played before, redone. Things like Volgar the Viking, you yeah. know, uh, the sort of classic style Castlevania. Of Castlevania, like, Castle and, and 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 Castlevania esque things. What was that? What was that epic games? Uh, Metroidvania game. I can't remember. You had a jetpack. It was three D. It was one of the very first three. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about on the uh, Xbox. Uh, I know what you're talking. About. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, yeah, it was really good. Um, Power of the Internet. Power of the Internet. But yeah, that 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 style of game, and you sort of start realizing that this was a thing. When 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 did you first get a to get a name to put to it? Ah, pretty recently. I just called. I just called them retro style games. Yeah. Um. I just. I for a while. I I just called epic, it epic epic games. Oh uh, yeah. 
because Epic Games was the production. Anyways, for a while. Yeah, for a while I just called them retro style games. It, it, I didn't really um, give them a name like OSR until people started calling it the OSR. I was like, wait, what is that? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, other than that, I, I just kind of called them retro style games whenever I encountered them. Okay. And what about you, Austin? I never stopped playing old games. <laughs> uh, for, for me, it, it was sort of a, a thing where, wait a second, other people are starting to do what I've been doing, which is playing old games, and um, there has always been a, a mod community that sort of updated games and brought them up. Um, it's, a, it's especially apparent with uh, all, all of the Mario mods that are out there and all of the different Mario levels that are being made, but almost any game has a following, and you can find people who have made mods to slowly bring games more and more up to date to, to advance things to change things um boulders gate has a whole bunch icewind Dale, all the infinity engine games have a whole bunch of mods that bring them more in line with modern gaming and get rid of some of the annoying things um one of the biggest things boulders gate one there's a lot of mods that make you walk faster because moving from point a to point b takes forever in yeah. boulders gate one and they fix that in boulders gate two and there's mods to bring it up or there's even mods to bring all the kits back into uh, let you play Icewind Dale and in Boulder's Gate 2 Shell so you can bring all the kits and it's just something I've been doing for a while and everyone else started doing it and it became a thing I think one thing that's also really helped in recent months that's really helped the OSR movement um, has been Tabletop Simulator on Steam Um, because if you look through the workshop on Tabletop Simulator you will find a ton of old school games being recreated in this tabletop setting because now you have a way now you have a virtual tabletop on which to play them things that can't be done by roll 20 well you know things like 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 things like D&D that can't be done on 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 roll 20 like D&D can is what I'm trying to say uh being recreated in tabletop simulator with the pieces and the boards and the cards and everything heroes quest is on tabletop simulator you know that's going really far back uh carcassonne is on tabletop simulator um and it's sort of bringing these old school games into the light of the modern gaming community and saying hey this kind of stuff is still fun you should go back and play it. And an- another element that's really helped is the move away from physical distribution to things like Steam or GOG, which was originally good old games, because it's a lot easier for an independent developer to distribute a digital medium yeah. than it is it to get it for good old games, doesn't it? No, no it's, it doesn't, it's, it's officially it's, changed to GOG. It's, it's just GOG. GOG. Because everybody called it GOG, because it was G.O. Yeah, but like, if, you, if you break down the acronym, it, it still stands for Not anymore, because they sell modern and new games. Uh, yeah, they've mm-hmm. officially changed their names from good old games to GOG. But re- regardless, awful. the idea, idea that I don't have to get a contract with a place that has to get a contract with Walmart to publish a game. I just have to get on the internet and, you know... If 500 people buy my game for $10 each, I made $5,000 for a game I made in my basement. And so they're they're limited to simpler types of games that they're producing which, that are in the retro style by the technological limitations. Which has opened the floodgates for mountains of crap to be made. But Unfortunately, also... <laughs> yeah, that it, has, mm, un- it has led to that, but it has also led to some really brilliant games in a really low-tech shell. Yeah, uh, but and, there are also things like Toilet Paper Simulator. Uh, sorry, the ultimate toilet paper simulator. 
as a game that's being pushed through green light right now on Steam. Yeah, um, yeah I think I think you know it's, it's that's something you don't you don't have to do the uh, you don't have to do the Lord British thing of of, of putting your cartridge in a plastic bag yeah. and running to every store that you can find and selling Which it there. Which is hilarious. Um, you can just instead put your cartridge in your computer and upload it to Steam. I, I think another element that has really helped is graphics have hit a slowdown. For a while, graphics every year were massively advancing. Yeah. And we've really hit a wall where we're hitting the limitations of what's practical. Everything's hitting Uncanny Valley territory. And it's like, either you go super realistic or you cut that line. Yeah. Um, And so, I think people are becoming disillusioned with things don't have to be 3D anymore. When 3D first came out, everything had to be 3D. And if it wasn't 3D, it wasn't worth playing. And it took a long time, but I think we're finally back to 2D games can be just as good, if not better, oh, yeah. in certain elements. I think that, that's always been true, but it's, it's definitely hitting the light. It's hitting the, it's hitting it, the public it's, eye more. It's hitting the public eye more. <clears throat> like I said, I've been playing these games for the entire time and <laughs> kind of pretending that modern games don't exist. And now, modern games are being made in the old style, so I can play, play them again. <laughs> you hippie. Anyways. I can get out from under my rock. You can... You can stop being a hipster and join the washed masses. I can stop playing being a hipster and start playing indie games. <laughs> Wait a second. Stop being a hipster and start playing independent games like like everybody else does. <laughs> yep. Which is actually a really good segue to go into our main topic. So we're 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 going to talk about OSR and video games and the the first thing I wanted to talk about actually is an indie game, Techno Babylon. Now, Techno Babylon is uh, is a member of this this sort of and I don't know if their developers would consider themselves a member of the OSR movement, but you can still put them there because they are a new video game created in an older style of game. Um, specifically, the 90s point-click adventure uh, 64-bit... Which is a great genre. ...graphics of, of game. It's a point-and-click adventure game, uh, beautifully rendered. Like the, the, the sprite detail in the game is, is fantastic. Um, set in a... I think we've talked about it a little bit on previous podcasts. It's set in a cyberpunk, you know, sort of dystopian world where uh, society has sort of separated into city-states and and, and uh, uh, with massive technological uh, advances. And it revolves around the story of, of a family, essentially, as, as it turns out, um, to, uh, who, who have been separated and, and live in this city. And it's told through... It's, it's very beautifully written. It's very it's a very beautiful narrative. If you haven't played it, please go play it. It's on Steam. It's fairly cheap, and um, it's a beautiful narrative. And it, it it evokes all the emotions that you want when playing an adventure game. You know, it it absorbs you into the story. It, it we streamed it, and for, there were long sections of time where where William and I weren't talking because we were too interested in watching the game. <laughs> um, some of it hits pretty hard. It, yeah, some of it hits pretty hard. Um, some of it's kind of cheesy, but some of it's really good. Play some hard baseball. Mm. Mm. And um, what they've done is, while the art style, while the art style is very nineties, it's very sprite based. And even when they go into the internet, where everything gets a little bit more high res, it's still mid nineties cartoons, like Sheffy. It's very much an anime style. Like there's a, there's a, there's an, there's an automated AI who who runs the uh, food the food dispensers called Sheffy, um, and she her design is very much a mid nineties anime. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you could picture this character in a Trigun or a Cowboy... Not a Cowboy, yeah, but, like, in a Trigun-style anime um, from the mid-90s. <clears throat> and so it's, like, even even in the digital realm where everything changes a little bit because it's a little bit higher res and it's a little bit more more less down-to-earth brown and gray, it's still a 90s homage. Um, the real world is pretty down-to-earth brown and gray. And yeah, you know. Um, and it's... But with with that taken aside, it's also fully voice acted, with with for the most part really good voice acting. There's a couple of barring a couple hi- of strange bar, accents, barring a couple of strange accents, which, which is something I appreciate as a change from the mid '90s when voice yeah. acting was a new thing and you couldn't get real actors, and you got yeah street corner hobo man <laughs> voicing half your cast. Yeah, which worked in Silent Hill too, but <laughs> but th- th- there were there were games that. I played in the 90s where there were, you know, a cast of four people who did 60 voices and yeah. they really blurred together. And to, the to be fair, a lot of those street corner hobo men are now famous voice actors. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, but they were street corner hobo men when they did them and they weren't, and they weren't that or, great. Or the games where they didn't hire anyone, they're just like, hey, any of you game developers want to give you a shot at voice acting? Yeah, where the, the, the developers did the voice acting because they well, still does that. <laughs> But there, and, and there were a couple times. Where yeah, but they've been doing it for a long time. What what inevitably yeah. happened was you got one or two voices that they made as the leads were, like the guy who could act, the guy who took a theater class in high school who did a decent voice, and he's just surrounded by this emotionless drivel. Yeah, and it's like I want to turn the voice acting okay. off because it's everyone, detracting from my game. Everyone experience. sounds like a Vicky Guerrero. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's very well. The the voice acting is very modern. It's very good, very well written. Like I said, barring a couple of weird bits with accents and 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 accents that I can't place and voices that I don't understand. And one, I think there's only one instance of of a really like flat feeling emotional. But it, to be delivery. fair, it's a very flat character. It is. Um, and then a couple instances where the uh, the voice actors, I'm guessing the director had an aneurysm or something, because a couple of the really good voice actors suddenly gave a really shitty job for two lines. Um, it happens. It happened a couple of times. It was really weird. Um, but the voice actor is really good. And it's also a very modern story. There's a lot of, a, a lot of older story. The st- storytelling convention has changed. And it changes. It evolves constantly as, as we evolve as a society. The story of the game and the way it's presented and the way it's told is very much a modern function. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a modern story placed in an old old school shell and that I think is something that I really appreciate um, especially in looking at OSRs is the ability to tell modern stories or at least stories from a modern perspective in the shell of this old style um, as sort of a way to not only capture your nostalgia and, and, and you know get you into that, that, that mode of thinking of 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 putting you back in that simpler time and then hitting you with a, with a more modern, more complex thought process or narrative or, 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 uh, con- conflict, um, and forcing you to deal with it. Which I think is great because it lets you play a game, a nostalgic game in the style you remember, yeah. not necessarily in the style that it was, that it was because there are a lot of improvements and advancements. Yeah. Which uh, opens up. Um, 
like I, I have to play a bit of the devil's advocate here because the OSR is fine. Like the people wanting to bring old games back is fine. But there's a lot of issues that people don't remember because of how, because of their nostalgia for a game. Like and <laughs> the best the best games that come out of the OSR make improvements. They fix things that were wrong with the old style of games. Like and it, and a lot of people are like, no, this is how this is how old games were. They were just really good. And then I point you to Final Fantasy X. I swear it looked like that when I remember it. <laughs> when the developers who made the HD remake of Final Fantasy X made a really smart decision because they put a side-by-side -side comparison of the original Final Fantasy X and the HD remake. In, in right next to each other, so people had to take the nostalgia goggles off and actually look at the abomination that was original Final Fantasy X. Well, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't bad. But you can actually see that there have been improvements, that that is not what the game originally looked like. Yeah, like, the, somebody, I don't remember who, I think it was Cam in Letting It Run said the... They've made the game look like how I remember it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that it, it and it is it's true because I remember if I look back in my head and think about playing Final Fantasy X when we had the PS2 down in our in our grandmother's portion of the house mm -hmm. on a desk where now there's where now our mother's you know bed is, um, and I'm thinking looking at the old CRT monitor not CRT monitor but the old yeah it was no it was CRT monitor but the old the old box monitor mm -hmm. the old box TV. Um, with the with the antenna sticking on the back of it and the PS2 plugged into it, rigged up, and, and we, we had rented Final Fantasy X from Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. That was the first time we played it, was renting it from Blockbuster. Blockbuster was still a thing. Blockbuster was still around. You were like seven. <laughs> I was 14. You were If I was seven, yeah, you were 14. Yeah, right, you time. were seven. I was 14. I can math sometimes. Um, and I remember it looking like the HD version looks now. Because welcome to nostalgia. <laughs> uh, I, I remember uh, thinking back when I the, the that game for me was Sonic Adventure One. I remember it looking gorgeous when we first plugged in the Dreamcast and yeah. playing it. And then I mean it was a few years ago, but I booted it back and I'm like, this game does not. I don't remember looking. I don't remember I don't, it being this ugly. I remember ugly. it being gorgeous. I remember. <laughs> I don't remember any of these problems. Yeah, and it's like that. That's that's the thing. Is like the ones that are that come out of the OSR that are good are the games that make improvements to fix the issues that were there. But, but there's just... been a lot. There's been there's been quite a few games that are just like here's the old game, including all of these issues that were there. Yeah, <laughs> they don't make any improvement. They just slap a new coat of paint on. It's like here you go. Have yeah. all these problems. Yeah, there are, there are, and and, and 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 that's really a smack in the face to how far we've come as a as a gaming society and how far we've developed our games. Yeah, but the question there is: is your impetus to fix the issues that are there, or present it as it was? Like, if we're talking, if we're talking preserving a game in a music in like the, in like a video game in like in the video game museum. If you want to preserve a game in a video game museum, why did you remake it? Why well, don't you just release re a new release, version of like... Re-releasing it because to the masses that have never had a chance to play it. Yeah, I understand that. But if you're going to improve it, improve it. Yeah. Make it better. 
If you're going to give it a new coat of paint, fix glaring issues. Well, I think the question, though, is how much do you fix? For example, if you're going to release a new... If you were going to re-release the original Wolfenstein... One, add strafing. You, you, yes. You would fix the controls. I still you... swear there's strafing in it. I don't know why... I don't know why I remember strafing in the Nostalgia changes a lot of things. I promise there was no strafing <laughs> in the original Wolfenstein, and it was bad. We're gonna have we're gonna have comments going. There was strafing. No, no there, there wasn't. wasn't. But there was. I remember there being Goldeneye. Add strafing. <laughs> I remember there being strafing in Goldeneye too. No, um, but oh, you know nostalgia. the question is, but do you want to fix? Because the graphics are very iconic. They're bad, but they're very iconic. That's the thing. Now you can keep an iconic style and polish it. Now here's a question. Oh, and I, I already know the answer. I don't even know my answer, but what do you do? What What about when when an old school Renaissance game comes out that completely changes the original game, but keeps the name? And I'm talking about Goldeneye, the new Goldeneye that was released for the Wii uh, and for the PS3. Um, they replaced James Bond. It's now Daniel Craig's James Bond. They've replaced Alan Trevelyan. It's now some ra- weird random guy. It's not Sean Bean anymore. Um, and they replaced all the maps. Like the, the original dam map. Now instead of in a, instead of fighting your way across the dam and diving down and going into the complex, it's, it's, it's been changed. Like the maps have been actually recreated and, and completely altered from the classic maps that you remember. At that point, it's no longer it's, yeah. It's, it's no longer that, an OSR. It's just a new game now. That, then they've gone game way they just, beyond. They've created a new game and they've put the old title on for to be fair nostalgia marketing. To be fair, they've made a lot of new games and put the old title on. No, <laughs> it's true. But this one was blatant. Like this wasn't like it wasn't like um, it's not like going Mortal Kombat. And it's not, it's not it's, like, it's it's not not like, like going Sonic the Hedgehog where they, they made the, or Sonic the, the Hedgehog the 2006. This Sonic is specifically. Goldeneye 007. Like, that name, when you say that name, you immediately have a memory of the Nintendo 64 Goldeneye 007. Um, and, and then, whereas with Mortal Kombat, you think, oh, Mortal Kombat 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. There's only one Goldeneye. <laughs> like there, there's there, there's there's also there's also the the whole thing that I've that I've mentioned before in that sometimes you can go too far. Yeah. Uh, like Serious Sam three walked out with a bit of, with a bit of the wash rag from the modern games on its face. <laughs> um, like Serious Sam three really just needed that HD coat of paint and a couple of mechanical tweaks. It didn't need the, the touch of modern era. But but that's a. Style choice. But, but by the time you, by the time the game gets going, it breaks away from all that. Like by like three levels in, and all of a sudden you are running back across the the, the deserts of Cairo with a thousand screaming guys running at your back and a chain gun. You, yeah, <laughs> but you still got those weird cyber zombies that are there for some odd reason, and then so, the, the monkey things. Yeah, so, I mean, there's he, a thousand of them though. Here's the question. Let's go back to that Wolfenstein game. So the sprites that they use, the, the two and a half D sprites, are ugly and awkward. Do you? Polish the pixels? Do you re-sprite them? Do you 3D render them? You know, make where them, where is this up, line? Update them to 64 bit. If we if we wanted if we like, and that depends on what the developer wants to make. But if you want to make a faithful re-release, you can just enhance the sprites so they don't look garbage. But but how do you enhance the sprites? Yeah, I mean, because they're 16 bit sprites. 
Are you, are you upping the bits, or are you re, are you <coughs> polishing them and defining them, adding contrast and maybe tweaking the colors, or are you actually respriting them with a higher like bit sprite? If, you, if you're going to update those sprites, you have to resprite them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, are you completely respriting them, or are you? At which point, how much of the game is the same? Yeah. At that point, it's it's you try and maintain the original style. Like you 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 try and keep the original style of Wolfenstein. And, and do, you, do you keep the the awkward grainy voices? Yes, my Lieben. Yes, yes, yes. That's part of what it was. Exactly. But you know, you might be tempted. These voice, you know, maybe you might we just cre- maybe we just redo the same words. Slippery so slope. So we have a high. Yeah. See exactly. So that's like like how like where do you where do you stop? My my problem is once you start changing anything when you, you start changing core aspects of the game. Well, and it's not even how much do core you, aspects. Yeah, you might even think about oh well, these audios can just be cleaned up. And when do you go from cleaning up audios to... To re-recording audios. Or even, do we want to clean up the audio? Because well, see, there, yeah. the, see there, is, there is a fine line, but there is a solid line. In that, things that were glaringly broken, that people complained about when they played the original game, should be fixed. Yeah, but how do the you... The fact how that do you, you can't strafe in Wolfenstein... <laughs> How do you how do you find out what people actually complained about when they played it originally? And who complained about what? And who because, complained about what? I mean, re-releasing it to a new target audience, you're going to get people who are going to complain. Basically, about the that's what that's what QA testing is for. If you if you start with if you start Which with brings basically in, here's the game with a new coat of paint and people test and they're like what the hell is this? Yeah, but then you fix the things at, they mentioned. At that point, but that also brings in the light. It's like now we're looking at it from a modern day perspective. Now we're looking at this classic game from a modern perspective, and we're going to add all these modern fixes. Yeah. And, and then, at, at, at what, what point, point is it no longer? Sequel? Yeah, at what point is it no longer OSR? The purpose, in my mind, the purpose of OSR is not necessarily to fix the problems that that were had. Well, and the, the, but there were problems that need to be fixed. There are problems that that need to be fixed at the time. Things like in 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 first edition D anD D, genders having an effect on the game. Things like you know, uh, like like not ra- strafing and Wolfenstein. Like not strafing and Wolfenstein. I don't know how much we can bring that up, but it fundamentally changes how Think, you play yeah, the game. Yeah, things like not strafing and Wolfenstein. Things like not being able to aim up and down in Goldeneye unless you're standing still. Things like not being able to yeah tank controls in Goldeneye. Um, you can't hit oddball unless you're standing still. Yeah, um, but at, at, the purpose in my mind is to introduce old gaming to a new generation. That's uh, like Renaissance, the rebirth of, of, of old games, bringing it back to light, bringing it back to mainstream, saying, hey, 13-year-old who doesn't even know what a Nintendo 64 looks like, here's a game that was really popular when the Nintendo 64 was popular. And it's really fun as a core gameplay mechanic. Try it and have fun with it. Well, it's a way to connect with the previous, but with then the previous if you, generation. But then if you hand this thirteen-year-old who's never seen an N sixty-four game, an N sixty-four game, and tell him here's the N sixty-four controller, he's gonna be like, "What the hell is this? This is garbage." I, well, to be fair, we were all like, "This is garbage." When the N sixty-four controller came out, yeah. But I mean, you, you you've got a different market between somebody like us. We're going to love a game that's got the Wolfenstein. The sound clips. The sound, yeah. My leaving. Uh, as a, a, <laughs> what does a, that even mean? What are they saying? My uh, my life actually. My leaving. My life. My life. My leaving. My life. Or my love, depending on. <laughs> it's grainy. Leben and Leben. Or life and love. It was yeah, life and love. It was Leben. It, 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 like Leben is is living. 
Leben is love. I, I, it was definitely Leben. I remember it being Ich mein Leben. Because Lebensraum is... Uh, Lebensraum is, is living room. Lebensraum Leben is living room. is love. <laughs> oh, Leben my life! Leben is distinctively my love. My life! <laughs> um, regardless of that... That's such a silly thing to yell out. My Lebensraum. My, my life! My life! You've taken my life! <laughs> Google Translate didn't exist yet. Give it my life back. But, you know... It, we're gonna we're gonna love that. A new person's gonna be like, what? Why why what? is he shouting my life? What is he? Why is it so great? What is this? Why is his audio so grainy? Why like, does this you have to suck? understand when you're targeting a newer audience and when you're targeting the older audience. And you, I think people want to please both, and that's just not yeah. That's that's not easily possible. I think I, I also think that like it can, like, it can be which done. is why I think I the title like it can. Which is why I think classifying these games as OSR is a brilliant idea. Because it, it, it immediately sets your expectations, um, no matter who you are. This is an old-school Renaissance game, meaning that it's not like your modern game that you're used to playing. It's definitely something different, and you're going to have to look at it differently. Um, and, but I, I love that it's something that can connect, that it's something that will con- that, that'll give you a reference point for older gamers, for no. younger gamers to older gamers. Well, the, the thing that I think is better for younger gamers is what a lot of mainstream games have been doing, doing the throwbacks. Um, one of the biggest ones, I grew up on the Sonic series. I yes. loved Sonic. They went 3D. Sonic Adventure 1 was great. I loved it. I did too. Sonic, Sonic Adventure 2, 2 I liked. was fine. I liked it. I liked Sonic it. Heroes. We, ha- we, ha- we could not yet see... The pit before us. Sonic Adventure 2 was... See, the thing about Sonic Adventure 2 was it wasn't a Sonic game, it was a chow raising simulator. <laughs> sir, sir, this is my chow game. Um, <laughs> Sonic Adventure 2, well, it was awkward because it was... You have Sonic, and then you have Shadow, and then Tails is driving this machine now. I actually really like the mech, the mech battle sequences. Yeah, but you lo- you kind of lost Tails, and it was... Robot- Hold on. I like the mech, I like the mech battle sequences. So, the so mech there, there were pros were. and cons. So, then we hit Sonic Heroes. Sonic like, Heroes. Like I said, with 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 Generations Two, we could not yet see the pit you trap before two. us. With Adventure Two, we could not yet see the pit Sonic trap before Heroes us. was like, "Hi, we've Sonic stepped over Heroes. The, <laughs> we have stepped over the edge of the cliff. There is no return." And they're We've like, hold gone on. to anime. <laughs> hold on, hold on. We can fix this. We're gonna reboot. We're gonna call it just Sonic the Hedgehog and reboot it. And they created what I would call the worst game of all t- of, of of that they possibly could have. Except then they released Sonic Wear Pig. Sonic the Wear Pig. And oh, it was bad. We don't need to listen to that on this podcast, sir. No. I think I think the audience needs to needs to have this. So, Sonic Heroes is where they turned it into an anime. A really crummy anime where you play the same level over and over again. Uh. <sighs> Hold on. Hold on. No, no. If we're going to do this, look up Sonic Racing, the Sonic <laughs> Racing theme song, because that was a game from my childhood that was so bad it was good. Sonic R? Sonic R. Supersonic Racing theme song. Supersonic Racing! <laughs> this was released for the Sega Saturn. This was... Listen. Oh, 
Okay, I'm done. It gets worse. It gets now, worse. There, there is a moment. There is one Sonic game that I don't get people's hate for it because it is actually a game about going fast. It is a game about being faster than everyone. Which one? Sonic Riders. I don't know why people don't like Sonic Riders. Because it's Sonic in a car. No, Sonic Riders is the waveboard game. Oh, is it? Yeah, Sonic Riders is the waveboard game. Um, also, it had the best theme song. I'm sorry, Sonic Speed was awesome. To be fair, that one slipped <laughs> under the radar. Sonic, be- the Sonic Adventure 1 theme was the best Sonic theme ever. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> Son- Sonic Speed was an amazing theme right. song. Arguments aside, though, <laughs> Sonic Riders fell under a trash heap of garbage, bad, and terrible life choices. Yeah, that so was- the, the, the problem is that after Sonic Adventure 2, it just started going downhill so hard, the few really good games that actually appeared just got crushed under the weight of the shit that came before it. Like the Sonic Advance series, um, they, they made an Bioware made a Sonic RPG and it was good. It was, yeah, that one was really good. Sonic Chronicles Dark Brotherhood was a good game. But then Shadow the Hedgehog came out. Uh, and, yes. Shadow has guns. Shadow got, Shadow has guns now. Why does Shadow have guns? We don't know. To be fair, he also had a sword. Guns, yes, guns and a sword. Sonic got a sword. Sonic got a sword in Sonic, Sonic Knights. Knight. Sonic right, Knight. Hold on, hold on. Enough ranting. Stepping back. They realized this. No, they, they didn't. really. No, they didn't. Generations was an accident. I'm confident Generations was an accident. No, because they released Sonic Colors. Which, which was also good. I feel like that was name. also an accident. They realized we need to put the 2D elements back in. We realized. <clears throat> they realized what Sonic people liked, and it wasn't. Tunnel vision, run straight line. It was platforming, exploration at high speeds. It was, it was good. It was let's get rid of our cast of fifty characters. And then you know, and then you know what they made after Sonic, after Sonic Color and Sonic Generations. Hmm. Sonic Boom. Rise of Lyric. Yeah. Still 2D. No, no. Rise of Lyric was not 2D. That, oh, that, that, not? That's, that's the, that's the, uh, that's Shattered that's Crystal. The, that's the DS. That's the 3DS one. Yeah. Sonic Boom. Rise of Lyric was, ugh. Also Mario and Sonic at the London 2012 Olympic Games. Uh, Olympic Games was Also All-Star thing. Racing Transformed. Hold on. We're, we're getting off topic. Also Sonic Jump. The point is, <laughs> for a brief period of time, they realized what they needed for to do. For two games. And they made a throwback. Um, a better example is probably the Mario games. Also, Sonic Free Rider. <laughs> the, the Mario I know, games. I haven't seen Free Rider. Did, I don't know if there's other Sonic Riders. Did um, New Super Mario Brothers. Um, which was, let's do the 2D scroll, side scrolling platformer and let's do it well. Now, Mario was a game that actually did hit the 3D wall pretty, it, it, it pretty did, good. It did pretty well. Because Super Mario 3D was, in my mind, I think in a lot of people's minds, is still the best Mario game that they've ever played. You mean Super Mario 64? 64, yes. Super Mario 64. It's, it's probably one of the best Mario but games they, I've ever they played. still recognize that we're losing... We're, a lot of the audience has never seen a 2D Mario platform. That's true, it's true. And they brought it back, and they did it well. With New Super Mario Brothers, yes. And then, of course, now with Mario Maker, um, they're even doing it better. Mario Maker, actually, I feel, is, is definitely a preeminent OSR game. Because it, in addition to it being the old school style Mario, you can choose to make old school design Mario levels. Yeah. I saw one that was just the opening level of Super Mario Bros. 3 remade 
in the game. And it's like, this is exactly what I remember it looking like. They didn't have the, the drop-down invisible uh, block barrier at, towards the end of the game where you could walk behind the game into the warp level, but that doesn't matter. Uh, well, I mean... There's all, I mean, to be fair, there's also people who are making Dark Souls in Mario Maker. It's true. Like, there's this one level that I, I can't comprehend how this man is beating this level. It's true, it's true. Um, regardless, it's becoming mainstream, the throwback. Yeah, so, so the, the OSR, the OSR and, and sort of movement has, has reached the AAA uh, production. And, and I think it's, it's great because that's how you connect with the younger audience. The younger <laughs> audience isn't going to get the original Wolfenstein. They're not going to get the parser adventure games they're not going to get this that the other thing they're going to get this is a game that a game series that I know and this is how I can play it in a way that they used to play it without having to play a Mario game where you can't walk backwards yeah yeah um and has really poor controls the original Mario game the original one did yeah that's what I'm saying Super Mario Brothers, though. Or I can, I can play... Hey, I can play a Sonic game and it doesn't suck. <laughs> Only two. <laughs> a little bit of aggression about that. I apologize. It's okay. It's okay. They ruined... Yeah, Sonic Riders I really liked. Anyway, moving anyway, beyond that. Um, another so, game that I really like that they... And this they, one I've actually played. I have played this one. They, they've re-released and... So, Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition. They didn't change... Anything. Anything. They only added. They didn't even change the movement speed. Which is unfortunate. But you know what? There's mods for that. I, hey, Sorcerer's Palace, bruh. Any mod you want. Uh, um, so yeah, so Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition. I have played it. Have, have either one of you played? Nope. I've, I have I, played I've, it. I've, I've, I, know, I know all the differences. I've, I've read the breakdown. I, I've played it on a tablet. Because it uh, so basically, Baldur's Gate re-released on everything. Which, by the way, is another <laughs> great thing about re-releases. Re-releases for mobile devices. Oh yeah, especially games like Baldur's Gate. It's sort of topped out. It's, it's funny because really mobile devices fits. are currently hitting the point where the '90s games were. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, uh, they're better, bro. Have you seen some of the bad '90s stuff and some of the good? That's yeah. true. Tablet stuff. Yeah, it's true. Um, but 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 yeah, there's there's. It really fits on that. But I, I did. I played Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition on a tablet, um, and it's really fun. And what they've done is they took the core game, they took all the assets. Actually, no, they had to they had to recreate a lot of the assets because they were they couldn't get the files; they were lost. Yeah. Um, but they they literally recreated the exact game. But they they recreated the game down to the random noble who tells you you smell funny. Yep. To the uh, east of Barragost, and they have all the voice, all, all the voice, all the voice acting uh, that was in that was in the original ones. Um, they all didn't the mechanics, touch the graphics. they didn't touch the graphics. The graphics are exactly the same. All they did, they expanded the screen, they expanded the view, so now you can have a widescreen view of the game. Uh, so that it'll and they they retooled the system so that the engine will work on modern computers. Yeah, um, and on tablets. Oh, and on Linux, and they've added. Some things to it. They've added. So they've, they, added they've added a couple new party members. Uh, they've added romance <laughs> options because Baldur's Gate One never had romance options. Only yes. Baldur's Gate Two. Mm-hmm. Um, they added uh, s- several new NPC quests in different areas, and they but they did it so seamlessly, you wouldn't know. They did it so seamlessly that me playing it until Austin told me that there were new characters, I wouldn't have known there were new characters, because I remember I, I have a, I have a memory of playing the original and. 
I haven't yet encountered anything that's drastically different yeah, from my memory. Yeah, you might be like, oh, this I might maybe I missed this. I don't remember that. I I, I I don't remember the tavern that you go to early in the game that you pick up an extra wizard and people, and I think they might be new, but um, but that's just be, that that's me that's me assuming my faulty memory, not new stuff added to the game yeah. because it's so seamlessly put together. Um, <clears throat> did you go to a tavern shortly after leaving the the? Uh, the first place you go is the Friendly Arm Inn. Okay, it is the Friendly Arm Inn. And, but like, by the time I left the Friendly Arm Inn, I had a, I had a full party. Yes, uh, Zar and Monteron, which are a necromancer and a fighter thief, join you on your way to the Friendly Arm Inn, and then you get Khalid and Jahira, who are a fighter and a fighter druid, okay. and you get Imowen from leaving. She's a thief. It's not a balanced party. No. But it is a full party. That's who I had by the time I left. So I hadn't run into any of the new characters yet at no. that point. But I couldn't remember it, because I don't remember that much of the original game. Well, and the beauty of Bowler's Gate was there were so many things that were just off the path that you just, they didn't add anything on the path. They put stuff off the path. Yeah. When you explore, you find new things. And that's oh, yeah. something I love. And it's, it's, it's really fun. And, and, and I think they added a couple new spells. They, add, they put in a couple things, but they didn't try to update the edition. They didn't try to make it second edition fancy. They didn't even add the kits that were in Boulder's Gate 2. I yeah, think. I mean, because it still uses it still uses second edition Thaco. I think they added. I think they put the monk in and the half orc in. Yes, because my character is a monk. Oh, yeah. There is and the barbarian. A game that successfully, when it was remade, will appeal did appeal to both the people who played it originally and new people. But that was because it was not quite as old as some of the other games, and what? that was Wind Waker. Uh, well, Wind Waker, eh, it was just, uh, it, they but didn't update it much. That, that, they, like, that, that was the thing, they didn't, yeah. they didn't remake it much because Wind Waker already knew where its yeah. art style wanted to be. Yeah, Wind, yeah. Wind Waker yeah. doesn't count as a remake, because that was within the past ten years. I mean, it's still a remake, but I don't think it's old school Renaissance, because it's not old school. It was it's GameCube. Still, it's still, yeah. yeah, it's GameCube. Anyway, um, but, but so so Baldur's Gate and in Baldur's Gate two they did the same thing and they're doing they either are doing or have already done Icewind Dale, they're very prolific they're slowly working their way through all mm-hmm. of the old school games, um, they'll eventually hit Neverwinter Nights and, and I'm looking forward to that and that there's another company that's doing it with adventure games AGD and they've done it with the early Quest for Glories where they haven't changed any of the puzzles any of the dialogue <clears> but they fixed the combat system did they really. A lot. Where? Quest for Glory 2 had a really bad combat really? system, and Quest, uh, they did a remake. They got rid of the labyrinth in the town, so you knew where Gog? you were going. Is that available in GOG? It's free on oh, AGD. Right, we'll have to get it. We'll have to stream it on the stream. Um, um, and they fixed the combat system a lot and made it interesting. And I think that that's the ideal way to approach an OSR, is what they did with Baldur's Gate, where they don't, they, they, they don't throw anything out. They don't replace anything that you remember, so that you get the game in all of all of its warts and all. Thaco. But they add. No one understands Thaco. It is a mysterious and complex. I understand, understand Thaco. It's, it's fine. not Thaco's not that complicated. I, I I've been able to get my head around it. It's just awkward. It, it's it's much better in a computer form where the computer's doing the calculations for you. Yes, it is. Um, but they've they've added things to the game that are still in spirit of the game. Without taking anything away. Now, now talking about old editions of D and D and not advancing the editions of D and D, let's talk about OSR and pen and paper games because that's where the that's where the movement is currently very strong. Um, as and as much as we've talked about the video games, it's it's super and it's, strong. It's interesting in paper RPGs. that it's strong in the pen and paper because pen and paper has always been very stratified. Unlike computer games, there is not an ad- ob- objectively more advanced game. 
Yeah. That yes, there are five editions of D and D. But in, everybody, in except for fourth edition, everybody likes the various different no, editions. No, there, there are whatever. people who yeah. are hardcore fourth edition players. There are. They're wrong, but they're hardcore fourth edition <laughs> players. Um, they are objectively wrong. And to be fair, if incorrect. you are introduced to fourth edition D and D, you look at the rest, and you're like, "What is this? This is really super complex." Um, um, just like, but there are people who only play second edition D and D, and I game with a group of them, and second edition D is great. And I want to learn it. They don't move on from there because they found what they liked. And unlike a video game, you don't finish second edition. Yeah. And want to and, and move on. You, you keep, just keep playing. Making new playing, campaigns. Keep new campaigns. New characters. And so telling new stories. It's it's interesting because generally people <clears throat> play the first thing that they're introduced to. Yeah. Sometimes they upgrade. Sometimes. They, they don't. So what you're saying is that they don't bounce around systems as much as we do. You as much as you, John. You, we have bounced you, around many systems because you've that argument aside. <laughs> because of me, that might be true, but we still have, as a group. Um, I like to experience new things. That's why I want to learn second edition. That's also why I'm really you know why we're moving on to this next subject, which is swords and wizardry. Which um, is a fascinating concept that John introduced me to that I am intrigued by. You're welcome. Um. So, Swords and Wizardry is was the first example of OSR as OSR that I uh, yeah, realized. The first time I've heard of o- OSR as a being phrase, the name. yeah. Um, that that I that I that I heard called OSR, and then looking back, sort of realizing everything else that is OSR. Um, it was released. When was it released? I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. I believe it was released in 2009. Uh, yeah, it was released terribly long ago. Released released in 2009. Um, Swords and Wizardry is a basically a clone of first edition Dungeons and Dragons. And there's two there's two different versions. There's the core rulebook version, and then there's the white box version. The difference between these are the white box is uh, a, an exact clone of the original Gary Gygax 1974 D&D, um, and it only includes the first three books of the original game, which makes it almost identical to the classic D&D first edition. Down warts and all. Faults are very much included. Warts and all, all the all the you know different races are classes, not races. Um, you know, genders matter. Male no, they don't. No, 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 they did Genders they did didn't that. matter. Did no, genders that. didn't matter in AD&D anyway. Oh, did they Genders not? only mattered in the very original releases. Okay. Which was right. like chainmail, I think, was okay. the original name or something. Um, yeah, so the white, the white box takes you to those original three books. And you play it, and, and you can buy it as if you were buying D&D Brown Box. Um, and you could play it today in a modern setting with, you know, with, with people who have never experienced this. Who didn't have the chance to play it when it was out, originally. And don't want to spend the, what, $50 to get it now? The, the, what's, what's, what's $50 first dollars per right source. Now? Per source book, new. Per book. Um, More if it's older. Whereas these have, you know... And, and people who don't have fathers who have, you know, their first edition source book sitting up in their room. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, let me let me just read this. Free download of the third printing here. Hardcover of the third printing sold through, you know. Uh, they, they, they release free versions of this of this game. And then there's the core rulebook, which we're looking at right now. The core rulebook is first edition with, uh, I believe it's with... Um, uh, right here. Forget whose rulebook just play. Um, 
it's all the it's it's all the supported products, all of the expansions for the original D and D condensed, condensed and refined. Um, they've taken a lot of the, they've taken a lot of the the bugs and the the issues and the quirks of original D and D and sort of fixed them I ever say so slightly. A lot. They've streamlined a bunch of old content into into a newer setting, but it's it's still the old game. Just without the warts. Well, without all of the warts. Well, um, and and I find that fascinating because I've always wanted to play older style games, but you know, never having anybody that knew the systems, never having anybody that had the books. Aside it's, from myself, it's, it's very well. This is like before you knew it, before before I ever knew you. Nobody, you know, nobody else yeah. knew this stuff. Um, it's very difficult to 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 learn the older systems nowadays. Um, so it's very difficult to get a group of people large enough and with the free time because a lot of the, the, the people who do it have dedicated groups that they've been with for 10 to 15 years exactly. and getting your way into them is difficult yeah you know or you know if you can find an established group it's an established group it's hard to get into that group and then you're always the low man on the totem pole etc um, yeah, especially because they emphasize starting at first level on your room with a bunch of 15th level characters. Yep. Hi. I die instantly. Hi. You gain a heck of a lot of experience, though, if yeah. you live. If you live. Um, I'm just going to hide behind you guys. I'll be the tactician. Um, so, yeah. The, 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 and and it, it's very interesting. It's, you know, it's, it's a fairly small book compared to other... It's only 144 pages uh, compared to other RPG books, which are massive in size. Um, Nowadays they are. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, and I really find it fascinating. I like to dive back into older styles of systems, older systems, and then learn them and play them and experience that setting. I like to dive into different settings all the time. I, I really do love to experience new things and new systems and new settings and new worlds and new play styles. And that's part of the reason why I jump around to so many different systems all the time. All right, um, Shadow Chorus, I see the pain look on your face. So William has something he wants to talk about real quick. So, first edition, you know, like the, this, 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 re, this reprinting is interesting. I, I find it very interesting. I, I, I definitely want to look into it, but it also, to me, highlights a couple issues that existed, which is the same thing it, that the OSR did with video games. It reminds me of when the when we had Sensetaku play Ultima One. Yeah, um, <laughs> the progenitor to modern RPGs. There's a thing. That bothers me about this thing, especially the difference between the white box and the core rules. But even the core rules have their issues. The white box is just first edition D and D, which means that races are classes, which means that all dwarves have the same skill races, set. Races, you mean dwarves and elves, because those are the races that aren't humans. Those are the only races that aren't humans. And they are a class. If you want to be an elf, you must take the class, if you're a class elf. Yeah, if you're an elf, you're basically a fighter mage. If you're a dwarf, you're basically a a, a fighter with a fighter. lot of hit points. <laughs> and this bothers me a lot because it implies that all of these races only have one skill set. And even in the core rules, even up to, up until third edition, third edition was the first D and D where they didn't impose class restrictions based on race. Yeah, and that's another thing. Halflings can't take anything other than fighter or rogue. Or fighter or thief, sorry, is the name of the class. Um, in 2nd edition, they're allowed to take clerics as well. 
And then <laughs> they're not allowed to be <coughs> cleric thieves or uh, fighter clerics. They can be fighter thieves. And then, there's, and then there's this other issue of you can only reach a certain level with a class. Dwarves have an imposed maximum level cap because both of their classes have an upper limit. Yeah. Well, and, and this is back in the time, though, when humans got no racial bonus except for they could be any level of any class. Which basically meant the humans were automatically better because they could get to 20-some-odd levels. they were objectively worse aside from that. <laughs> like, because they got no bonuses. They didn't get any bonuses, but eventually down the line, this dwarf is going to be stuck at, like, I don't know, 16th level. The human's going up to 25th level. Assuming that you play a campaign that gets that high. Yeah, remember, this is also when experience experience points were, you know, a little bit slower. Yeah, and, and games often, you know, you, you got the 12th or 13th level max. Yeah, but that strikes me as a problem, though, because that basically says that humans have the most potential they can go farther than anyone else can, even though they live the shortest lives. I mean, the, the fluff is that humans are supposed to be the versatile. They can be, you know, they can excel at anything, whereas other races have things that that race excels at. You know, dwarves aren't magical, so they can't even be magic users. Whereas elves are more naturally magical than they are warriors, so they're not going to advance as far in fighting classes. And it still bothers me a lot. It, it's one. Of, it's one of those warts that is brought up by this by this system, especially like the idea that you can only advance this far in a class unless you have this stat requirement, which then you can get an extra level or two. Yeah, which bothers me a whole lot. So what do what do dwarves get? Racial bonus-wise. They get a bonus to saving throws uh, against poison, I want to say. Let's scroll down and take a look. Dwarves, plus four on saving throws against magic. They get a bonus on noticing features that are made of stonework. And they can identify whether stonework is recent or not. There's no established die roll, but you can make something up for it. That's it. Alright, and elves get... Halfling game, halflings elves, gain plus four. So elves get dark magics. vision. Worth noting, dwarves didn't get dark. Don't, dwarves don't get dark vision. Elves get dark vision, which is problematic because they're in the living. And mountains. they have a four and six chance to automatically Torches. to find secret doors. Where are we getting all that pitch to light our entire dwarven kingdom? Torches, um, and they cannot be paralyzed by ghouls. Yeah, so uh, all the and, and then humans, of course, as being the default race, they get, get nothing. nothing except that they don't have any maximum level cap. Um, and and they can go in any class combination. Halflings get a plus four bonus on saving throws against magic and a plus one to hit when using any missile weapon. Yeah. So, and and of course, this is, like, if we look up here, um, look at some experience totals. Uh, the experience to go from level one to level two is 2,500. But for a ma- only for a magic user. Only for magic users. The experience to go from level one to level two for fighters is 2,000. For clerics is 1,500. Um... Let's look for thieves down here. But it, it doesn't scale the way you'd expect. For example, for a fighter to Thieves get, is 1250. Uh, mages level up slower at the beginning, but they start leveling up faster later on. Fighters level up moderately at the beginning, but level up slower later on. And if we look at experience points gained per challenge level, uh, for, a, for a challenge level 1, 15 experience points split between the party. Uh, for well, that is not is, necessarily is it, is correct. It, is it individual or uh, split? In first edition, whoever lands the finishing blow gets the experience. Aha! Uh-huh. 
So which you means don't that let... your your thief and your cleric are basically sunk, unless you agree to house rule that. So what ha- what ends up happening here is if you're going by the rules, the dwarf that has a maximum level cap hits his maximum level cap a lot faster than the human who doesn't. Then it gets to his maximum level a lot faster than the human because he's always going to be at the front line, always hitting it with an axe. Um, and he'll probably get the finishing blow more often than not. And the human's going to be stuck three, four levels behind him regardless. Now, they may have fixed that in the core rules of this. Um, but... But going, like, at the very least by the white box standards, um, that'll be what that is. Which is still problematic. It's, yeah, it's still problematic, but, you know, you can see why certain things... You can see why they made those decisions. Even if those decisions aren't necessarily good ones, you can still see I, why they I'm made. not going to justify them as good decisions. <laughs> Now, you see, when all this is going on, my opinion is I still play old editions of d and I have a group that's an established group that I play second edition with. Austin, you at one point, like, said, at, you, you made a statement, like, there, there are no truly superior editions. I want to disagree with you on that for one reason. Third edition to 3.5. This is true. When I say there's no superior editions, I assume that first edition is automatically upgraded to second edition. Because that's all it was, was an upgrade of the exact same rules, and 3rd edition was upgraded to 3.5. Um, but between the, between the drastically different editions, those being 2nd and 3.5, and 3.5 and 4th, and 4th and 5th, everyone plays them all for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, to me, it's, it's... I'm a fan of, in role-playing, just going back and playing, and a, a lot of it comes down to house-ruling. If you look at the way that people play second edition, every second edition group has a set of house rules that you that you establish. Um, one thing that one house rule that the group I'm with has is they have spellbook casting because one and done is not fun. Uh, one and done being magic users at first level get one first level spell and intelligence does not give you any bonus spell slots. Hmm. I have a spell. Phew. And it's generally a crummy one at that. Um, and so what you do is the spellbook casting is you can cast a spell out of your spellbook, but it increases the spell casting time to a full round, and there's a cumulative 10% chance of failure every time you do it until you rest. So you just get tired from reading. Yeah. All right. That, and, that seems a lot. That seems And, and that, that way, it's at, at early levels, uh, you know, I might be able to get four or five extra spells out. They might fail, but, you know, it, it'll happen. It'll take me a while. But it's something. Or... I'm out of combat, I want to cast a utility spell, I'm going to cast it out of my spell book because I didn't prep it for the day. And again, it takes longer, but it's a utility spell, so that's okay. Yeah. Um, or my father, his D&D groups always house-ruled fake out. Did they? They fixed how... They, yeah, they, they did a... Basically, for every number, it would be below 20, it's above 10. And the same thing with AC, instead of going down, it goes up. So they did positive AC. So they, 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 po- they were playing positive AC in the 80s, yeah. So they did additive AC instead of negative. Yeah. Um, which, which, which I mean, ad, quite frankly, additive AC just makes more sense. Now, there is one thing I would like to say. <laughs> Gary Gygix, when he created this game, he wanted it to be complicated because he wanted it to be... He wanted it to be a niche. He wanted it to be... These are the geeks. These are the people who are intellectually bound, who are playing this game. He wanted it to be that sort of thing. He didn't. He made it so that it would be difficult 
for he also, he also enjoyed killing everybody in the, in the parties that he DM'd for. I'm not saying he was right <laughs> in this decision. I'm just saying that that is why we have such unintuitive things. Another fault that Second Edition has is the non-linearity of stat progression. And Which is something that is in... Um, but it's not as bad in the, in the core in rules. The core rule in Sword and Wizardry. Because in the core rules, it, it's a little bit bad. But for example, a seven Constitution doesn't doesn't decrease your hit points any. A fourteen Constitution doesn't increase your hit points any. Yeah. An eighteen Constitution increases your hit points by four. Wait, what? It goes no bonus until fifteenth level, where it's plus one, plus two. It's it's it's, it's like this is, but it's it's slightly it's more. It's it's this is three to eight is minus one, nine to twelve is nothing, and, and thirteen to eighteen thing, is plus um, one. With strength, you don't get any bonuses from strength until you have sixteen. I do notice something here interesting to me that is not necessarily an issue in three point five and later editions. Raise dead survival chance. Yes. Um, oh, they they classify that as you got it in the in second edition. It's called your system shock. If you are raised from the dead, there's a chance that your soul will not bond with your body and, and you will be permanently destroyed. You go into shock and just die again. System shock is basically whenever you take massive damage or suffer a system shock, you roll a system shock check and either you fall unconscious or die if you fail it. <laughs> um, that, that's how my bard died. I fell off a roof and I failed my 93% system shock check and died instantly from taking massive damage. Nice. Yeah, uh, so there, it's it's kind of rough, but I feel like but there's still value in these systems. I enjoy it. Yeah, the group I play with, we enjoy it. If there's something we don't enjoy, we house rule it. That's the point. the The older editions, the biggest joy of them is that you house rule anything you want. We don't play by level caps. Cause why? It's like you want to be a halfling wizard. Fine, we'll just work extra hard on your backstory and why that fits. Yeah, you know, and, and it's, it becomes more D- about the role playing. Old school D anD D was very here are options. DM fiat is very emphasized. You do what you want to do. And this is something. This is something that some of my favorite DMs have mentioned all the time. Whenever they're giving DM tips, is it doesn't matter what edition you're playing. You're the DM. You're the one who makes the rules if something mm-hmm. needs to be changed. Yeah. Now. The flip side is be consistent when you change your yeah, rules. Yeah, like be consistent. Be consistent with it so that your players aren't confused. Yeah. But if there needs to be a rule that needs to be changed, you have the power to change it. Yeah. Also, that goes in hand in hand with don't be a dick. Yeah. Well, like, I, th- I think that's more with being consistent. Yeah. Uh, don't be like this monster arbitrarily has a higher AC, or this monster arbitrarily has immunity to that spell because I don't like it. Or it's like, you know, yeah, you can't critical this guy. Why can't I critical him? Because X, Y, and Z. But I, that, what? Yeah, you can't critical him. I can critical everybody else. He might have armor of, uh, forti- uh there's, a, no, there's a name for the armor. That yeah, but it, like, he, he, he can't be critical because reasons. Like, that, that's, that's just, yes, that's within your power as the GM, Still a dick thing to do, but um, if you have a problem with your characters getting killed by crits, give them armor that negates crits. Yeah, work within the rules as best you can before resulting to GM. Yeah. And don't do it after the fact. But he was already crit once. Yeah, but he developed. He he. Uh, he had, in, in the middle of the fight, he suddenly became immune to critical hits. He took his crit vaccine. Yeah, uh, his, <laughs> his immune system realized that critical hits are bad for him and decided to make him immune to it. <laughs> but like in in general. 
no matter what no matter what system you're playing, if there's a, if there's something that needs to be changed, you can change, change it. it. Yeah. Um, and this is typically something that you like agree with with the players, like when, when you're when like when you're working with the players, like I want to do this, but there's no rules for it, or the rules say I can't. Like, well, this is fitting for you, or I think this is proper for you, so we'll allow it. We'll figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, figure out a way to make it work, or just it works. You know, whatever. So yeah, this is. I, I feel like there's a lot of value in in going back and looking at older systems, like. D&D 1st Edition, well, like D&D 2nd Edition. And, and, and if nothing else, OSR has worked, if only by the fact that I want to play 2nd Edition because of it. Yeah. Because well, I've seen Swords and Wizardry and I've heard people talking about it with yeah. such joy and such, you know, such love in their voices, I want to experience this and, and, and make my render my own judgment on it. And the best part about OSR in, in role-playing tabletop games versus video games is, number one, you can house-rule things you don't like out. You fix the bugs yourself. You don't need them to do it for you. And the storytelling can be whatever type you want. It's not limited to, oh, well, this story's being told from the 90s perspective. No, it's being told by you. From your perspective. From your yes. perspective. Yes. So you, you do all the bug fixing. Yep. Um, and like the, I, I, I definitely appreciate the OSR a lot more in tabletop format because of the ability to change the rules on the fly and fix issues that show up. Because basically, in tabletop format, it's just showing you the other systems that have and, existed. And the dwarfs are, have their have their own class that you love, and they can't um, and they have a level limitation to represent their uh, their limited stature. I might get punched. <laughs> I'm between you. I'll get punched. <laughs> no, I can reach across you. He's lanky. <laughs> so um, um. on that note, <laughs> Shadow, Shadow Chorus fights for the rights of non-humans. <laughs> I fight for the right of all non-humans except for elves. <laughs> except for elves. Elves are the best, bro. <laughs> elves Elf have mechanical abilities to replace limbs in 2nd edition. <laughs> they, they Regeneration. Create, no. They create mechanical, magical devices that are fake limbs. That replace your limbs. They, wow. they make magical prosthetics. They're not magical. They're partially mechanical. Mm-hmm. Mechanical magical. Magic mechanical. They made of mithril. Mithril arms. <laughs> mithril prosthetics. Yep. Wow. In Shadowrun, all races are the same because you're all just metahumans. They're not. <laughs> they are notably different. No, I, I was making a. You are you are you are all just human at, was, at some level. I was making a race joke. <laughs> you are you are all just human. What we're level. saying is racism is a thing. In fa- racism in fantasy role playing that would be a f- racism racism in fantasy games would be a fascinating topic for discussion. It would be because it exists everywhere. That's like like it's one of those interesting things. Um, to talk about because you use fantasy settings and you use sci-fi settings to talk about cultural situations that are that that exist in your culture that are hard to talk about in that frame set. So like uh, racism. So next week on but the Shannoncast. Next week on the Shannoncast, racism in video games. No, but it, it, it is an, it is an interesting topic. Who knows? We certainly don't. Um, all right, we'll, we'll we'll start we'll start working on the closeout now. Um, so. Thank you all very much for listening, and if you enjoy listening to this, listening to us ramble on and, and get into fights about about whether or not old school games are good, or, or our opinions on OSR, or, and or fighting IRL because dwarves, fighting <laughs> I, fighting IRL over dwarves and elves, me stuck in the middle because I'm the only person that likes to play humans. Um, I played humans. I like before. humans, but it's fine. 
they're human. <laughs> I'm the only one that likes to play humans. Um, I'm sorry, my one of my main characters is a human. No, he's not. He's an elf. No. I was firing. Firing is firing is a human. I thought firing was an elf. He is yeah. human. <laughs> the other one's an orc. Anthropomorphic <laughs> animals. Anyways, um, no. Okay. I I. I'm still the only one that likes to play humans on a regular basis. I, I have <laughs> characters that fit best as humans, and so they are human. Um, but yeah, if you like listening to all of this, please feel free to follow us uh, wherever you're listening to this. If you're listening to it on sinstaku.podbean.com, or if you're listening to it from the website RSS feeds, uh, you can find all of our other content at you, you can also find all of our other content at our website, which is finalshowfilms.com. We produce seven stream. We we stream seven days a week. We produce sometimes more than seven streams, depending. Um, we produced a comedy series called Two Guys One Camera on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We produced this podcast along with another podcast called uh, the the Final Show Film Actual Play series on Mondays, and we produce uh, let's plays on Fridays. And soon we'll be producing more let's plays on more days of the week. Um, <clears throat> And if you'd like to support us in all of that, you can donate on a monthly basis to our Patreon at patreon.com slash fsfilms. Now, speaking of support, in the next few weeks, there is an event going on uh, created by the Loading Ready Run crew over at loadingreadyrun.com called Desert Bus for Hope. Desert Bus for Hope is a charity gaming marathon wherein the Loading Ready Run crew and volunteers play the most boring game in existence, Desert Bus. Uh, from Penn and Teller's Smoke and Mirrors, which is another really interesting thing we could talk about is Penn and Teller's Smoke and Mirrors. But that's, that's a little, we can get a whole podcast out of. That's it, a whole it? podcast for that. Um, and meta games. <laughs> um, and we play it for a week to raise money for Child's Play, which is a charity organization that raises money to buy things for children's hospitals that other charity organizations forget. Because children hospitals are cold sterile environments and when you're there for two weeks to three months it can get boring they're not always sterile they're not always cold but they are not always fun i have never stayed in a hospital that was not cold sterile yeah but children's health care in atlanta is actually very warm and inviting but it is it can be boring um and what Child's Play does is they donate games and board games, toys, video games, video game systems through the money that they raise to these hospitals to help entertain the children who are going undergoing, you know, sometimes months, sometimes year-long procedures. Um, and it's a very good cause that has raised over two point five million dollars total uh, in the nine year in the eight years that they've been doing it. This is going into the ninth year. In Desert Bus specifically, Desert Bus specifically has raised over two point five million dollars. Well, it's not they're not the only charity that raises money. For yeah, Child's Play. Child's Play does a lot of events and they raise they raise a lot of money, but Desert Bus in particular. Um, I will be going up this year to work on the broadcast team of Desert Bus. So if you guys want to support us, you can also support us by watching Desert Bus this year. Uh, it's going to be starting on the fourteenth, and you're also supporting them as well, and supporting a good cause. Um, yeah, so that's 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 the end of our news segment here at the end of the show. Uh, thank you all very much for listening to us. I have been John, and with me have been I am William and Austin. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.